I think sometimes we go through cycles, either in church or in our own personal lives, where there just seems to be trouble one day after another. And uh, maybe we hear news about relatives or close friends, and uh, it seems as if, you know, every time we talk to somebody, we discover that somebody else is not in a good place. And maybe it's a little bit like that for us at church at the moment. There's not so many people that are not well and so many people with friends and family who are not well. And so I think this little verse this morning that we're looking at in Isaiah 26 is a real pastoral encouragement to our hearts. As you know, over the past few weeks and through now until the end of June, we're just looking at significant passages from the book of Isaiah And uh, this morning, we're really just looking at one verse. And it's probably a verse that many, many of you almost know by heart. I was driving up through the Lake District a few months ago, and uh, I decided we would stop off at Keswick. And, you know, the whole town center was just busy, 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 busy. And I hate it when it's like that. And uh, so I said to Heather, even though it's raining a little bit, uh, let's walk down to the edge of the lake. And uh, so I took that picture there, and I just thought it was just a beautiful, um, you know, just picture of of peace. And uh, you remember way, way back, almost in the first sermon in the book of Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died. And so Israel as a nation was facing threats from the surrounding nations, and particularly from Assyria, who was like the global mega part of the day. But here in Isaiah 26, it would appear that they're looking forward to a time whenever Israel will feel secure again, whenever they will know that God is their salvation and that they can trust wholeheartedly in him. Whether it's referring to something that's going to happen in the short or medium term, or whether it's referring prophetically to that time when the Messiah will come and ultimately usher in a new age, we can't be 100% sure. But they're beautiful words. In that day, and this is actually a song um, in the Hebrew, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and its ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous may enter, the nation that keeps its faith. And then this verse that many of you will know. You will keep in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And I'm sure some of the older folks will only know it in the authorized version. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. There was a guy way back in the 19th century called Edward Bickersteff, and uh, he was a vicar in the south of England. And uh, his wife died relatively young after giving birth to 16 children. So as well as studying the Bible and preaching every Sunday, he obviously had more on his mind. 
but um, 16 children. But one weekend, he was up visiting family in the north. I think they'd be around Harrogate. And uh, before visiting the family, uh, he went to church in the morning. And the vicar was preaching on Isaiah 26.4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. And then when he went along to visit um, his, his relative, um, discovered that his relative was dying, but also was deeply disturbed and agitated and very anxious about the coming hours and the coming days. And later that afternoon, when he dozed off to sleep, he found a scrap of paper, and he just wrote down the words of this old hymn, Peace, Perfect Peace. And then whenever the old boy woke up again, um, he then read really what was a poem um, to his relative. It's a song or a hymn that has six or seven verses, and each commences with a question. And then the second part of the verse, if you like, finishes with an answer. And uh, I asked Ruth at the last minute whether she would sing it, thinking it's an old hymn. She'll almost certainly know it, but she didn't. So I'm immensely grateful that Ruth has agreed to sing this almost, well, 24 hours notice, and uh, which I'm really grateful for. So let's, let's just sit back and listen to these words of that old hymn, Peace, Perfect Peace. Thanks, Ruth. Yeah. Jesus has vanquished death and all. 
Father, thank you for reminding us already that in Christ we are able to know your peace. That in Christ, even in the midst of the storm raging around us, we can know in our hearts that all is well because you are a God who knows the end from the beginning. You are a God who loves us. You are a God who ultimately does all things well. So just bless us and strengthen us and encourage us as we reflect on these thoughts together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I sort of said to you and at the start this morning, do you know, the sermon this morning, there's nothing heavy about it. I'm not going to say anything that you haven't heard before. It's really fairly simple and probably shorter than usual. That was after only being allowed 15 minutes in St. Salvador's and St. Andrew's last Sunday morning. And, uh, but I'm sure it won't last for long. It'll wear off. And, uh, but I just want to share three things. Firstly, this concept of perfect peace. You, you remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at Isaiah 6, And I mentioned that in the Hebrew language, there are no superlatives. So whenever the writer is trying to express something about the immense glory related to God's holiness, he simply repeats the word. There is no word holiest in the Hebrew. So he simply says, the seraphim cry out, holy, holy, holy. The only time in the Hebrew Scriptures where that uh, phrase is used three times side by side. But there are a number of other places where the Hebrew uses the word twice. Again, to give it emphasis. And here it is here in Isaiah 26. So literally in the Hebrew it is, you will keep him in peace. Peace. But what the author is intending to say is that it's perfect peace. There is no other peace like it. There is no other peace that is comparable to it. God says, I will keep you in perfect peace. And that is in contrast to the world's peace. You remember in John 14, it says, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And you remember the next line? I do not give you 
as the world gives you. You see, as individuals living in the world in which we're living, we pursue all sorts of different areas and all sorts of different activities and all sorts of different understandings in order to find peace in our hearts. But Jesus says, the peace that I give you is not as the world gives. Indeed, it's a complete contrast to the peace that the world brings. Of course, in the days of John, they were beginning to experience what was called Pax Romana. In other words, what was called the peace of Rome. Rome prided itself in bringing peace throughout, I suppose, the world at that time. Certainly in any area where it had influence, there was peace. But again, those of you who are familiar with Roman history know that it was a peace that was bought and won and maintained by the brutal force of the sword. But in contrast to that, Jesus says, I am going to give you peace, a peace not as the world gives. And sometimes we even play down what this means. Sometimes perhaps at home, maybe we get annoyed because of the kids or whatever. I just want a bit of peace and quiet. Or I just want a bit of me time where I can just chill out. And just... But this peace that is being talked about in Isaiah 26 is much deeper, much more profound. In the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. And so, as you know, that's the typical Jewish greeting. Whenever you meet someone, I shake your hand and say shalom, meaning peace be with you. But actually, it's one of the most difficult words to really grasp in the Old Testament. It's got so many different layers of meaning. There is so much depth to it. If I was translating it in the Irish, I would probably say, everything's okay. How's things? It's okay. And mean that genuinely. Everything is as it should be. When God made the world, everything was okay. God was living in perfect harmony with created humanity. Created humanity was living in perfect harmony with one another. Men and women was living in perfect relationship. And men and women were living in perfect harmony with the created world. Everything was as God intended it to be. Everything was okay. That's what the Bible means by shalom. It's got so much depth of meaning. But whenever sin entered the world, shalom was busted in each of those different levels. So there was dysfunction between God and man. As a result of man's sin, they were put out of the garden and there was that broken relationship with the Creator. And then there was broken relationship between man and woman. And so we have the whole story of Cain and Abel and all that fell from that and how sin entered the world and then we have the first murder and, and all of that. 
But also, from that point on, there was, again, the whole relationship between men and women and the wider created order became bust as well. And so we had the whole thing about weeds and, you know, with a sweat of your brow, you're going to be able to cultivate the ground and all of that. And so whenever Christ comes, he wants to bring about reconciliation at all of those levels. So whenever Christ comes back, as we read about in Colossians 1, and he died for us on the cross, his aim is to reconcile all things to God, including men and women reconciled to God, including men and women living in good relationship with one another, and also men and women living in perfect relationship with the created world in which God had made And whenever that happens, and to the degree that that happens, that's what the Bible means by shalom. Whenever the world is okay, whenever our lives are okay, whenever we're living in right relationship with God, with one another, and with the wider created order, shalom, there is peace in our world. There are peace in our hearts, peace in our homes. Everything as God intended it to be. And as I mentioned, it's something that only comes from Jesus. As I read a moment ago, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. And then over in Colossians chapter 1, God was pleased. This is one of the, the great theological passages in the whole of the New Testament. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, by bringing about shalom through his blood shed on the cross. And as we'll see later, this is a peace that can remain in our hearts and in our context, even in the most difficult of situations. And so later on in Philippians 4, we'll read and and remind ourselves about this peace that transcends all human understanding. This is a peace that's on a different level with the peace that the world offers. And that's why Jesus is able to conclude his comments about peace in John 14. By saying, therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that Christ offers us is something which only Christ is able to give us. It's a perfect peace. It's an incomprehensible peace. It's a peace that passes all understanding. But the problem is... (laughs) How do we know that peace, even when we know Christ? And there's a hint here, isn't there, in Psalm, in, in, sorry, in Isaiah 26, that our minds are really important. Thou will keep him, authorized version, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, whose mind is focused upon thee. And so there's a relationship between how our mind is focused, how we imagine, 
how we think, how we reflect, how we meditate, and knowing God's perfect peace in our hearts. I've used this picture a couple of times, particularly at uh, funerals, and sometimes in little cards that I make to give to people. And uh, this is a picture of a little castle in the middle of Douglas Bay in the Isle of Man. Little castles about 100 yards from, from the seafront. Although before the seafront was reclaimed, it was probably a couple of hundred yards from the seafront. And uh, it was built by Sir William Hillary, uh, the founder of the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, who lived up on the cliff overlooking uh, the water there. And uh, there had been a, a terrible uh, sinking uh, of a ship in 1830. And uh, it was only fortunate that many, many, many people didn't lose their lives. The ship ran aground on, on the rocks there. And so Sir William Hillary decided that he would build this little castle, which is called the Tower of Refuge. And so in 1832, he raised the funds uh, and built this little castle. It reminds us, doesn't it, of Psalm 46. God is our, our tower of refuge. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And part of you thinks, but why was it needed? Why was it necessary? On a nice summer's day, you can get into a little rowing boat and row across to Conister Isle and climb up into the Tower of Refuge. In fact, on a very low tide, you can almost paddle across. And you think, what was the point? Was it all a white elephant? What was the purpose? But of course, the sea isn't always like that. And there are times that the entire rocks are completely covered by waves. And indeed, the waves are lapping right up over the top of, of the citadel. And sometimes I've made cards that has the picture on the cam sea on one side, and then on the other side of the card, I have this picture. And sometimes I say to folks, you know, depending on how you're feeling when you get up in the morning, you can turn the card round facing one way or another. And I've gone into people's houses, and, and uh, it's been a cam, and I said, look, things must be okay with you at the moment. And then maybe I come back a week later, and there's maybe been bad news from the hospital or whatever, and the cards turned round. And you see, there is something that stays the same. And that is the tower. You see, there are times when the sea is calm. There's times when the sea would threaten to overwhelm us. But the tower remains the same. And that's why the psalmist says, God is our tower of refuge. That's why he even says in verse 4 of Isaiah 26, he is our rock. See, he's the same God whether our lives are calm and everything seems to be going really well. But he's the same God when the billows threaten to overwhelm us. 
And so there have been a number of situations where boats have been shipwrecked. And sailors have clambered on and uh, found refuge until the storm abated. You see, God is our tower. He is our rock. He is our sovereign God. And so we know that nothing will take God by surprise. That he is working out his purposes in our lives. We know that he's a God who loves us. And even though there are times we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, the one thing we do understand surely is that a God who gave his only son to die for us on a cross is a God who loves us more than we can ever imagine. Sometimes we struggle to understand why he allows things to happen. But surely we know that at the heart of this rock is a heart of love. We know that this God is our Father God. A God who, even in the hardest times, is there to hold our hand and to walk the journey with us. And that's why it's important to keep our mind stayed upon him. You remember the disciples in the boat? And uh, you remember Peter walking on the water? And he walked on the water as long as he kept his eyes focused on Christ. But when he took his eyes off Christ, he began to drown and shouted out, Jesus, save me. And that's what's at the heart of Psalm, sorry, I keep saying Psalm, Isaiah 26 and verse 4. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon you. Whenever we allow our circumstances, whenever we allow our pain, whenever we allow our situations, whenever we allow our context to dominate our mind, our imagination, and our thinking, we end up losing that sense of peace. And of course, it's hard not to. And that's why we need to actively focus on the Lord, the one who is the rock, the one who is the tower of refuge, the one who is our father, the one who is sovereign, the one who loves us. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. And that's why it's really helpful to keep coming to worship even whenever life is tough so that we can be reminded of who God is. It's why in the toughest of times we need to continue to read God's word. That's why it's really important for us as a wider congregation to remind people through little messages on Facebook, social media, through a little card, through words that we say, not pious platitudes, but just to remind people of who God is. I'm sure Catherine won't mind me saying, but over the last two or three days, she's just been reading the Bible to Alec, not aware whether he can hear anything but just reading the scripture to him. 
singing to him some of the words of the old hymns of faith. Because our minds need to be stayed upon him. When our minds are lifted above our circumstances and are focused upon him, we can know his peace. We see that same relationship, don't we? In uh, Please don't laugh. You promise you won't laugh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the one thing you discover there is that I'm not going to guard anything. Um, this is an old sentry box in the beautiful wall city in the middle of Malta, Medina, I think it's called. Although I can never pronounce it properly. But, but that's the image, uh, although probably without the shorts, that Paul has in Philippians 4. The Lord is near. So do not be anxious about things, but in every situation with prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. You see this connection again between peace in our hearts and our mind and our thinking. You see, whenever we focus upon God with our thinking and our minds, it's almost like a sentry guarding our heads and our hearts. It prevents us from getting all screwed up. It prevents us from getting totally depressed about the situation. It prevents us from just being all over the place in our minds. God's peace, if you like, is like a sentry on our minds. As we focus on who God is, his peace helps us to know his calm and to discover his peace. But there's a third thing. How do we focus upon God? How do we set our minds upon God? And even after we do so, what should be our response? And our response is to trust him. And again, that's easier said than done at times. The young people and hopefully some of the older people at 6.30 have been learning this verse over the last couple of weeks. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways. When the sea is calm and when the waves threaten to overwhelm. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will guide you. He will direct you. But you know, many of us, when we first came to faith in Christ, we might say, you know, we trusted in Christ. But trust is something that needs to be cultivated. I quite like that word. Like in any relationship, you know, as you get to know someone, as you fall in love with someone or whatever, that relationship of trust is cultivated over time. And over time, it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper as you realize the nature of the person that you're trusting. And so I'll finish with this little picture from Prince Caspian in C.S. Lewis. And, uh, and, I, and I, I, I just been looking at this and thinking about it. 
And in some ways, this is the secret to knowing God's peace. So little Lucy there, the wee girl, she's sitting in front of Aslan the lion. And uh, she looks at him and somehow in her heart, she feels that Aslan is so much bigger than, than she thought he was. Or that he was so much bigger than he was the last time she saw him. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. (laughs) And Aslan responds, that's because you're older, little one. Aslan responds, that's because you're older, little one. And Lucy responds, not because you are. In other words, because you're older, Aslan, you'll have got bigger. But Aslan said, no, it's not because I'm older, it's because you're older. And so Aslan finishes the little conversation. No, no, I I am not older. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. I think that's a great Lewis quote. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. What's Lewis saying or what's Aslan saying? That as we cultivate trust, so God becomes bigger. As we focus upon God, as we contemplate God, as we just sit in his presence and try and understand what he is like and get to know him better. The more we cultivate trust, the bigger God becomes. And so you see the connection there between the three things. That peace, that perfect peace that only Christ can give us, it comes through contemplating the greatness of God. He is our rock. And the more we contemplate him, then the more we cultivate that trust in him. And the more we trust him, the bigger he becomes. And the bigger he becomes, so the deeper the peace in our hearts. It's just a wonderful little verse, isn't it? I have found it helpful this week. And I hope you have as well. Every year you grow, the more you contemplate God, the more you focus upon God, the more you just dwell upon who he is and his word, the bigger he will become. And the bigger he becomes, the easier it is to trust. And the more we trust the deeper the peace. I just want us to listen to a little song, and as we do so, um, just pray in your own hearts, and then you is going to lead us in a final song. Just to take him at 
His Word Just to rest upon His promise Just to know Thus saith the Lord Jesus, Jesus How I trust Him How I prove You more and more Jesus, Jesus Precious Jesus Oh, for grace To trust Him so glad I learned to trust him precious Jesus Savior friend and I know that he is with me will be with me to the end Jesus Jesus how trust him how I proved you more and more Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace to trust him Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him. so glad I learned to trust him precious Jesus Savior friend and I know that he is with me will be with me to the end Jesus Jesus how trust him how I proved you more and more Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace to trust him Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove 
precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more.